Warning. The following broadcast is not approved by your teacher, university, politician, or government. Side effects may include skepticism, better reasoning skills, liberty, peace, and an escape from the woke. Welcome to the show. I am your host, L.B. Moniz, and this is a portion of episode 87. 87 was recorded on October 24th, 2023, entitled, The American Cult Gets a Hard Reset. What you're about to listen to is one of six installments where I do my best to walk through the complicated nature of the Israel-Palestine conflict in such a way to remove as much of the emotional baggage as we possibly can. I broke this episode out into six episodes for you guys on the free stream. Of course, if you want immediate access to the full two-hour stream, all you have to do is become a member of the Been Awake Elite. It's $50 a year. Buy me dinner. You get full access to this. You don't have to wait. Uh, these are all going to be released over a course of two weeks. Let me just give you a quick rundown of what everything is going to look like, and then you guys can get into the episode. The first episode, 87.1, is pre-knowledge about Israel-Palestine. This, in this episode, I'm going to take you down, take you, take you down a, the road of a piece I wrote about a concept called pre-knowledge. <clears throat> I think this is something we all struggle with or suffer from or just frankly something that is in the modern day and maybe always was, but it's more pronounced in the, in the digital media age. So you're going to learn more about pre-knowledge and how that relates to the Israel-Palestinian conflict. 87.2 is about the post-World War II order in Israel's independence. We're actually going to read... The, together, the Declaration of Independence from the from the Israeli from the early Israelis, and we're going to kind of talk about some of the historical context that is lost, um, lost and purposefully forgotten, I would say, and regarding the founding of Israel. Eighty-seven point three: How religion dictates Middle East politics. We're going to take a closer look at Zionism, and we're going to take a closer look at Islamism, and we're going to talk about how, how, how religion is really what's shaping Middle East politics, not some grand lofty secular notions as we might think here in the West. 87.4, when media figures cry out for blood, we're going to take a look at some of the response, especially from the Daily Wire's Ben Shapiro, who, despite popularizing the phrase, facts don't care about your feelings, sure seems to feel a lot about this conflict going on. 87.5, are Israel and Hamas friends? We're going to take a look at a piece from 2009, the last time there was a major conflict between, in Gaza and, and between Gaza, Israel, Hamas, whatever. We're going to take a look back then, and we're going to show how, in many ways, Israel either allowed Hamas to become the, the terrorist organization it is today, or perhaps even encouraged it to become more militant and more violent. And then finally, we're going to wrap things up. We're going to analyze a dust-up between Austin Peterson and Dave Smith, and then we're going to go through some fun, different things. We're going to cover the speaker's race, which, is, of course, if you're listening to this now, has already ended. Um, we're also going to talk about some fun things, including how maybe fat people should have better access in hotels. Listen, if you would do me the favor, make sure you're subscribed to BeenAwake.com. And without further ado, let's get into the episode. Well, why Hamas in particular? Well, there's a narrative line going around that, I, that I'd like to try and explore with you. We have to remember before we get into this how the cult of American democracy works. The cult of American democracy works because it allows for at least two trains of thought. 
we're going to read a Wall Street Journal article together from 2009, written by Andrew Higgins. Of course, tweeted out by Scott Horton of antiwar.com fame. The article reads how Israel helped to spawn Hamas. Well, that sounds interesting, doesn't it? Surveying the... By the way, of course, you know, the Wall Street Journal today is owned by Jeff Bezos. It's not exactly the same institution it was. However, I do know that Andrew Higgins has been a reporter for a long time and is generally pretty good. Surveying the wreckage of a neighbor's bungalow hit by a Palestinian rocket, retired Israeli official Avner Cohen traces the missile's trajectory back to an enormous stupid mistake made 30 years ago. Hamas, to my great regret, is Israel's creation, says Mr. Cohen, a Tunisian-born Jew who worked in Gaza for more than two decades. Responsible for religious affairs in the region until 1994, Mr. Cohen watched the Islamist movement take shape, muscle aside secular Palestinian rivals, and then morph into what today is Hamas, a militant group sworn to Israel's destruction. Instead of trying to curb Gaza's Islamists from the outset, says Mr. Cohen, Israel for years tolerated and in some cases encouraged them as a counterweight to the secular nationalists of the Palestinian Liberation Organization and its dominant faction, Yasser Arafat's Fatah. Israel cooperated with a crippled, half-blind cleric named Sheikh Ahmed Yassin, even as he was laying the foundations for what would become Hamas. Sheikh Yassin continues to inspire militants today. During the recent war in Gaza, Hamas, fires, Hamas fighters confronted Israeli troops with Yassin's primitive rocket-propelled grenades named in the honor of the cleric. Last Saturday, after 22 days of war, so this was the last time there was a major conflict, this was the last time there were elections, Israel announced a halt to the offensive. The assault was aimed at stopping Hamas rockets from falling on Israel. Prime Minister Ed Omer hailed a determined and successful military operation. More than 1,200 Palestinians had died. 13 Israelis were also killed. Hamas responded the next day by lobbying five rockets towards the Israeli town of Sederut, S-D-E-R-O-T, a few miles down the road from Moshev Takuma, the farming village where Mr. Cohen lives. Hamas then announced its own ceasefire. Since then, Hamas leadership have emer- Hamas leaders have emerged from hiding and reasserted their control over Gaza. Egyptian-mediated talks aimed at a more durable truce are ex- Egyptian-mediated talks aimed at a more durable truce are expected to start this weekend. President Barack Obama said this week that a lasting calm quote requires more than a long ceasefire and depends on Israel and a future Palestinian state living side by side in peace and security. Hold on to that thought. A look at Israel's decades-long dealings with Palestinian radicals, including some little-known attempts to cooperate with the Islamists, reveal a catalog of an unintended, eh, well, we're going we're gonna to take that with some editorial discretion just so we know, and often perilous consequences. Time and time again, Israel's of efforts to find a pliant Palestinian partner that is both credible with Palestinians and willing to eschew violence have backfired. Would-be partners have tuned into foes or lost the support of their people. Israel's experience echoes that of the United States, which during the Cold War looked to Islamists as a useful ally against communism. 
Anti-Soviet forces backed by America after Moscow's 1979 invasion of Afghanistan later mutated into Al-Qaeda. You know that, right? If you're listening to this, you got to know that by now. That Al-Qaeda was created through U.S. funding to fight the Soviets. And then once they fought off the Soviets, they decided to turn to the Americans. You know, guys that did 9-11. No big deal. At stake is the future of what used to be the British Mandate of Palestine, the biblical lands now comprising Israel and the Palestinian territories of the West Bank and Gaza. Since 1948, when the State of Israel was established, Israelis and Palestinians have asserted claims over the same territory. The Palestinian cause, for, cause was for decades led by the PLO, the Palestinian Liberation Organization, which Israel regarded as a terrorist outfit and sought to crush until the 90s, when the PLO dropped its vow to destroy the Jewish state. The PLO's Palestinian rival Hamas, led by Islamist militants, refused to recognize Israel and vowed to continue resistance. Hamas now controls Gaza, a crowded, impoverished sliver of land on the Mediterranean from which Israel pulled out troops and settlers in 2005. When Israel first encountered Islamists in Gaza in the 70s and 80s, 1970s and 1980s, they seemed focused on studying the Quran, not on a confrontation with Israel. The Israeli government officially recognized a precursor to Hamas called Mujama al-Islamia, registering the group as a charity. It allowed Mujama members to set up an Islamic university and build mosques, clubs, and schools. Crucially, Israel often stood aside when the Islamists and their secular left-wing Palestinian rivals battled, sometimes violently, for influence in both Gaza and the West Bank. When I look back, quote, when I look back at the chain of events, I think we made a mistake, says David Hakam, who worked in Gaza in the late 1980s and early 90s as Arab efforts, affairs expert in, in the Israel military. But at the time, nobody thought about the possible results. Let's, just for the sake of argument, let's think that's true. Israeli officials who served in Gaza disagree on how much their own actions may have contributed to the rise of Hamas. They blame the group's recent ascent on outsiders, primarily Iran, this view is shared by the Israeli government. Remember, this is written in 2009. Hamas in Gaza was built by Iran as a foundation for power and is backed through funding, through training, and through provision of advanced weapons. Mr. Ulmert said last Saturday, Hamas has denied receiving military assistance from, her, from Iran. Arias Spitzen, the former head of Israel's military, Israel military's Department of Palestinian Affairs, say that, says that even if Israel had tried to stop the Islamists sooner, he doubts it could have done much to curb political Islam, a movement that was spreading across the Muslim world. He says attempts to stop it are akin to trying to change the internal rhythms of nature. It is like saying, I will kill all the mosquitoes. But then you get even worse insects that kill you. You break the balance. You kill Hamas, you might get Al-Qaeda. When it became clear in the early 1990s that Gaza's Islamists had mutated from a religious group into a fighting force aimed at Israel, particularly after they, tried, after they turned to suicide bombings in 1994, Israel cracked down with ferocious force. But each military assault only increased Hamas's appeal to ordinary Palestinians. Wonder why. The group ultimately trounced secular rivals, notably Fatah, in a 2006 election supported by Israel's main ally, the United States. Now, one big fear in Israel and elsewhere is that while Hamas has been hammered hard, the war might have boosted the group's popular appeal. Ismail Haniya, head of the Hamas administration in Gaza, came out of hiding Sunday to declare, God has granted us a great victory. 
Isn't it interesting as we read this article? There's a lot of good information here. That's why I wanted to read it. We're going to read it in its entirety. But isn't it interesting how so much of this echoes to a lot of the facts that people put out today? Most damage from the war, says many Palestinians, is Fatah, now Israel's principal negotiating partner. Everyone is praising the resistance and thinks that Fatah, the PLO, is not part of it. Hamas traces its roots to, its, to the Muslim Brotherhood, a group set up in Egypt in 1928. The Brotherhood, remember, Zionism, 1870s. Muslim Brotherhood, a very good, a very good disseminator of the school of Islam, Islamism, modern Islamism, in its various forms. Uh, certainly, what would that be for the more Sunni? No, for the Shia parts of the world? What are the Egyptians, actually? Hmm. I should know that, and I don't. The Quran is in the constant... Okay. The Brotherhood believe the woes of the Arab world spring from a lack of Islamic devotion. Its slogan, Islam is the solution. The Quran is, the Quran is our constitution. Its philosophy today underpins modern and often military intolerant political Islam from Algeria to Indonesia. After the 1948 establishment of Israel, the Brotherhood recruited a few followers into Pal in Palestinian refugee camps in Gaza and elsewhere, but secular activists came to dominate the Palestinian nationalist movement. Interesting to note. At the time, Gaza was ruled by Egypt. The country's then-president, Gamal Abdel Nasser, was a secular nationalist who brutally repressed the Brotherhood. In 1967, Nasser stuff suffered a crushing defeat when Israel triumphed in the Six-Day War. Israel took control of Gaza and also the rest of the West Bank. Now, obviously, this is a longer article, and we are going to kind of go through it because I think it's worth your time to listen to it. But I want to make a parallel to something I talked about earlier in the stream. This would be a premium. This would be a previous episode about pre-knowledge. When was the last time you really sat with a piece like this? When was the last time one of your one of your favorite creators sat with a piece like this? I don't think anybody does it better than me, but you tell me in the comments. At the time, Gaza was ruled by Egypt, blah, blah, blah. 1967, Nasser stuff, su suffered a crushing defeat when Israel triumphed in the Six-Day War. Israel took control of Gaza and also the West Bank. We were stunned, said a Palestinian writer and Hamas supporter. He was at school at the time in Kuwait and said he became close to a class named Khalil Mashad, now Hamas's Damascus-based political chief. The Arab defeat provided the Brotherhood with a big opportunity. In Gaza, Israel hunted down members of Fatah and other secular PLO factions, but it dropped harsh restrictions imposed by Islamic, Islamic activists by the territory's previous Egyptian rulers. This is after the Seven-Day War when Israel took over Gaza and the West Bank. Fatah, set up in 1964, was the backbone of the PLO, which was responsible for hijackings, bombings, and other violence against Israel. Arab states in 1974 declared the PLO the sole legitimate representative of the Palestinian people worldwide. The Muslim Brotherhood, led in Gaza by Sheikh Yassin, was free to spread its message openly. In addition to launching various charity products, Sheikh Yassin collected the money to reprint the writings of Saeed Qutub, an Egyptian member of the Brotherhood who, before his execution by Nasser, former president of Egypt, advocated global jihad. He is now seen as one of the founding ideologues of militant political Islam. Mr. Cohen who worked at the time for Israeli's government's affair, religious affairs, says he began to hear disturbing reports in the mid-1970s about Sheikh Yassin from traditional Islamic clerics. He says they warned that the Sheikh had no formal Islamic training and was ultimately more interested in politics than faith. They said, keep away from Yassin, he is a big danger. Instead, 
Israel's military-led administration in Gaza looked favorably on the paraplegic cleric who set up a wide network of schools, clinics, a library, and kindergartens. Sheikh Yassin formed the Islamist group Mujama al-Islaima, which was officially recognized by Israel as a charity and then in 1979 as an association. Israel also endorsed the establishment of the Islamic University of Gaza, which it now regards as a hotbed of militancy. The university was one of the first few targets hit by Israel's warplanes back in 2009. Brigadier General Yosef Castel Gaza's... Jesus, a long article. Uh, but the Israeli's governor at the time is too ill to comment, says his wife. But who, but Segev, who took over as our governor in Gaza, said he had no illusions about Sheikh Hussein's long-term intentions or the perils of political Islam. As Israel's former military attache in Iran, he'd watched Islamic fervor topple the Shah. However, in Gaza, says Mr. Segev, our main enemy was Fatah. And the cleric, and Fatah again is the PLO uh, political party, and the cleric was still 100% peaceful towards Israel. Former officials say Israel was also, at the time, wary of being viewed as an enemy of Islam. I think something that's lost, let's pause for a second. I think something that's often lost in this, in, in, in the, the fervor that surrounds the rhetoric to this conflict is, again, the, ha- the fact that, as the Wikipedia article said, there are various flavors of Zionism. Right, part of part of the larger um, part of the larger expanse of this tapestry that we haven't really talked about is what like what most people view the solution as, and the solution is generally regarded as being a one state or a two state solution. Either there will be one state, one government, one nation state governing the land, or two. Which one do I think is going to happen? I don't think anybody knows. But I'm a little worried it's going to be in the one state and not in the good way. Let's, uh, so then, so the re- this article goes on to talk about how, you know, the, how, how Hamas was established as a, you know, a contrast to the PLO, yada, yada, yada. Um, let's start reading. So, you know, they go through, and the point is, what this is all leading us up to, is this realization that, for better or worse, arguably worse at this point, Israel chose to, much much, much like how the Democrats chose to try and amplify Trump in 2016, there's a comparison that'll make some people's head explode <laughs> Much like the Democrats tried to do that with Donald Trump, the Pied Piper method, Israel tried the same thing. I think they saw it as a bet they couldn't win. They couldn't lose. If so now we have to now we have to bring in some assumptions. We have to assume that some people in the Israeli government want to wipe out the Palestinians. Because it would just make things easier. Much like we have to assume some people in Hamas want to wipe out the Israelis, because it would just make things easier. And doesn't that sound like a lot of our uncles and dads on Facebook? There's this like very lazy interpretation of a complicated issue that says, just wipe them out, right? Just nuke them. Just get rid of the problem. Why? Because, this is the, because, because what you're trying to say is the barbarians are at the gate and I don't care how it gets done, but I can't do anything. So just do what you got to do. It's a statement of fear, really.
So they propped up these people and got it to a point, for better or worse, because an unstable Palestine serves the Israelis well, especially the Israelis, because an unstable Palestine isn't going to attack Israel, for one, and for two, shows the rest of the world the barbarity of the Palestinians. This is the narrative that they want you to believe. And let's be honest, sometimes they kind of show it. Compared with, oops, sorry, my mic keeps slipping. Compared with these people who are see the oppression over the Palestinian people, they read stories about settlements being brought into the West Bank. Jews, Jewish people from Brooklyn, ousting people from a farm held within a family for multiple generations. And they say that's unjust. They read about what's done to religious protesters, religious observers, kids causing some kids causing a ruckus. And they say that's unjust. And it, you know what? Here's the truth. It is. It's also barbaric on both sides. But in a very real way, Israel has made the bed it now lies in. You know, when I was, when, when, you know, when this, when everything was kind of breaking out, my, you know, people call and talk because this is something that breaks out into the most popular circles and everybody kind of wants to make sense of it. So people would call me and we'd talk about it or text me, what's the case may be. And they said, well, what do you think? And like, the truth of the matter is, my first thought is how predictable all this is. The article we were just reading from is from 2009 talking about a 21-day conflict. I get that some things have happened between now and then, from 2009 to now. But where was that constant reinforcement of peace talks? Where were the concessions and the negotiations and all these sorts of things? Oh, it wasn't really happening? Okay, so we can assume from that that it's not a high priority for the Israeli government to negotiate with the Palestinians. What's fascinating about the echoes of this debate is how it even plays out in my own circles of libertarianism that I come from. And what I want to do now, like I said, I'm not offering solutions in this episode. That's a, that's a fool's game. The solution is you don't have any control and you don't pay attention to it. So keep your head down. Try not to get, try not to get caught up in any of the fervor. And if you see protests walk the other way, it doesn't matter who's doing it. And don't try to have a nuanced take like this. If you like what you heard today, go to inawake.com to subscribe for future updates. My name is LB Muniz, and I am not one with the woke.